0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host Ian Harditson. Tonight we got a lot to break down, everybody. Week 14, round one of the fantasy football playoffs. A lot happened, injuries. We got new usage notes. We got exciting performances plenty of stuff to go over in this podcast i want to try to make things a little bit shorter in this one we had 14 games on this sunday with no bye week so main goal every single matchup i'm gonna go over my top two to three points i want to go over any injuries that happened, any beyond the box score type notes you know better ball touchdowns uh guys that were over you know yeah guys were <laughs> overthrown guys that dropped it things that you might have not caught and if you didn't get, get a chance to watch the games and of course a pff lily matchup staff for everyone for those that don't know lily is my 25 pound wiener dog and i like to sum things up with a good matchup stat. Before moving on, so thank you as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, and let's start things off with the Buccaneers' 26-14 win over the Minnesota Vikings. So, look, Brady didn't have to throw all that much; only 23 total attempts in this one. You know, had some missed opportunities, he missed Cobb on a potential big gainer on a deep cross, but more than anything, like his arm is fine. I know he had that long stretch where we he could not buy a deep ball completion, but people, this is not you know we said this all on the podcast; it's not a 2015. Peyton Manning situation where Brady just lost the ability to throw a football deep. He still can. Boy, did he ever. to Scotty Miller deep. I want to say it was a 52-yard touchdown. 48-yard touchdown to Scotty Miller. That was just perfectly placed. A lot of time in the pocket, but hey, you know, look at the rest of the schedule for Brady this year. He's going to have a lot of time in the pocket. Also had a really nice uh, 29-yard to Mike Evans down the sideline. So again, Tom Brady's arm is absolutely fine. New Look Buccaneers backfield was really good to see. I mean, Bruce Arians, he has been a liar when it comes to usage over the years. And you said before their week 13 bye, he wanted to get Ronald Jones at least 20 touches per game. Hey, Bruce, you came through this time. 19 combined carries and targets, and we even had Leonard Fournette as a healthy scratch. So uh, overall, Ronald Jones did play 69% of the offensive snaps, 18 carries, two targets. Well, Sean McCoy was there at 29%, four carries, one target, more of a third down roll, but it was the Rojo backfield. And hey, with this type of uses, everybody, we're talking legit top 10 running back from here on out. Vikings, so many missed opportunities. I mean, look, I have made my hatred for kickers very clear over the years and i mean this is exactly why three missed field goals and an extra point from, from uh, dan bailey leave him at the freaking airport man make him uber his way back to minnesota for all i care i cannot stand kickers particularly when they take away from an otherwise pretty uh, guts, gutsy performance i think by Kirk cousins look not his best game by any stretch of the imaginations but in his defense, six sacks under duress the entire game. I mean, he just didn't really have a chance to look downfield against this secondary that we saw Tyree Kill and company have plenty of success with. So, this was something coming to the game that we knew could be an issue with pressure that's kind of been the only kryptonite to this Vikings passing offense all season long. So again, even despite that pressure, like they had those chances, they just unfortunately couldn't make their kicks. And they also, I mean, Adam Thielen, it would have been an amazing catch, but he did get one hand on a ball for a potential score, just couldn't come down with it. So, you know, doubt Cook had a good game, 102 yards in the score. Irv Smith had 63 yards in the score. Again, the Vikings did some good things. This wasn't like a blowout loss by any stretch of the imagination. But again, without those kicks, things did not work out. PFF LA matchup stat. So again, that brutal stretch with the Tom Brady deep ball. And it was brutal. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he completed just one of 19 passes thrown 20 yards downfield in weeks 8-11. through 11. However, the last two games, Brady is 6-11 for 11 on passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield. Again, the arm strength is there. Timing, new receivers, new offense, these things take a little bit of time. And I get it, you know, weeks uh, 8 through 11, we've been saying he needs more time all season long. But whatever it is, if it's been enough time, if it's just been, you know, the small sample size of him just not playing well, whatever it is, the deep ball has been humming in Tampa Bay lately. Next matchup, we have the Titans defeating the Jaguars 31-10. to This was a massive game from Sir Derrick Henry, which, hey, it's December. We've come that to expect that from him at this point. 26 carries, 215 yards, and a pair of scores. Absolutely beasting. And you know who else was beasting, everybody? A.J. freaking Brown. AJB wide receiver one season. Lives on seven catches, 112 yards, and a score. The score was absolutely beautiful. Flea flicker on the Titans' first drive of the game, where A.J. Brown went up with not two, but just one hand reeled it in over some poor Jaguars cornerback it looked like he got hurt in the third quarter and that was scary I mean I you know got got some nice followers on Twitter you know reach out and that my Dire time of need, and you know, tell me that everything's gonna be okay and they hope I'm all right. AJ Brown is all right, which means I am all right. So, good stuff from AJ and Derrick Henry, as we have seen all year. And you know, just watching this game made me think because John Smith's another just complete freak athlete. And I understand every NFL player is a freak athlete to some extent, but truly, I think if every team had to enter a running back, a wide receiver, and a tight end in some sort of like anchorman style brawl type thing, you know, no rules except no touching of the hair, of course, or face. But anyway, AJ Brown. Derrick Henry, John Smith. Give me those three against any group of RB1, wide receiver 1, tight end 1 in the rest of the league. Ryan Tannehill made one good decision after another, in this one, 19 for 24, 212 yards, and a pair of scores. I mean, look, Corey Davis lost a fumble, but like there weren't any issues otherwise with this offense. Tannehill only took the one sack, and other than that Corey Davis fumble, there wasn't a turnover. So Tannehill didn't even have to finish this game. We saw Logan Woodside, shout out a former AAF for Logan Woodside, and at the end, just wasn't a game where he was really needed. So these are the issues we kind of run into with Tannehill and Kirk Cousins sometimes, where they just don't have to throw that ball uh, all that much. They hand it off to Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry to their O.C.'s uh, you know, harsh desire, but it was good to see in this matchup Tana Hill, you know, make the most out of his efficiency. He's been a uh, top 10 fantasy QB all year long, and he'll continue to be ranked as that uh, moving on, even if the Titans always kind of have this risk of it turning into a Derrick Henry game. With the Jaguars, the Mike, Mike Glennon era came uh, crashing to a halt. 13 for 23, 85 scoreless yards, and a bad pick. Look, you know, we, we talked about this in the podcast last week. Like, Mike Glennon, it was great how he was throwing downfield. That's fun. That's a lot more fun than watching someone throw screens all game. But, you know, even last week against the Vikings, two picks, and the touchdown was a tip ball that should have been picked. We saw him again come crashing back to earth in this one. Got to see Gardner Minshew come in later, and he actually did all right. Somehow through 31 passes, despite, uh, you know, only coming in midway through the third 178 uh, yards in score, So Gardner, I do think after seeing Glennon, Luton and, you know, him just all play. I think Gardner mentioned he was the best quarterback in Jacksonville, but, you know, you're the best quarterback of a one in 12 team. What is that telling you? But in his defense, I mean, you know, other (laughs) none of these wide receivers, I've been able to do too much with the exception of a DJ Chark really all season long. And I mean, even then we see more uh, inconsistency, I think, than we would like out of that group. So, you know, moving forward with this Jaguars offense, the only person we can play in the rest of the 2020 season is James Robinson. He had a, you know, slightly underwhelming game here, 12 carries, 67 yards. He did catch four passes for 16 yards. But unfortunately, I mean, he had like a monster, I think it was a screen pass for like a good 30 yards nullified by a penalty. And then he had, I think it was a 30-yard run nullified on a penalty. And look, I know some people get annoyed when I, you know, me and anyone else, talks about touchdowns that didn't happen because of penalty because a lot of times the penalty was what caused the touchdown to happen. This was an illegal formation penalty where the wide receiver just covered up the tight end. If the wide receiver on the opposite side of the field had taken one step back it would have been a touchdown. Had no influence on the play. It's unfortunate that's happened. That's at least Robinson's third on the season. He had two in one game against the Packers. You know, hey, James RB1 season lives on. Like, I get it. It's fine. But it is unfortunate that, you know, a guy who's been carrying us all year long in fantasy land uh, had, you know, a touchdown ripped from his Grasp like that uh, in the in the you know first round of the fantasy playoffs. Unfortunately, PFF Lily matchup stat. So since Derrick Henry has entered the league in 2016, we've seen 67 people have at least 300 rush attempts. Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry are at 4.1 and 3.8 yards after contact per rush, respectively. Nobody else is over even 3.4 people. They are truly on another level when it comes to just picking up yards after contact. So it's been fantastic ever since he got into the league. And guess what? We could be looking at Derrick Henry 2 k situation. He has three more games this year against the Lions, the Packers, and the Texans. Those are quite literally the bottom three defenses in the league and PPR points per game allowed to opposing RBs. And guess what? The Jaguars were the force. So we've been talking about this December stretch for quite a while, and all Henry needs to average, you know, all he needs to average is right? so 156 rushing yards per game over the next three weeks. I think I speak for all of us when I say, come on, Derrick Henry, go get that 2K, man. That would be an awesome storyline to cap off this season. Next matchup, we have the Cardinals defeating the Giants 26-7. to A game where, you know, I think we were expecting a little more out of the Giants after they managed to get, uh, you know, by the Seahawks. And, you know, not, I wouldn't say in style, but hey, you know, you beat the Seattle Seahawks, you beat the Seattle Seahawks. We talked about that last week. We don't want to take anything away from them, but man just a rough one. The good news was we saw Kyler Murray get back to run the ball. I mean, only 15 combined carries over the past three weeks. He had 13 carries in this one, so we didn't see a huge fantasy performance. Only 47 rushing yards, 244 yards uh, through the air, and and just one touchdown, which was a pretty cool touchdown to Dan Arnold. Like, Kyler, I mean, what, he's 5'8", but come on, we all know he's like (laughs) 5'4". Stepping back in the pocket, throwing like off his back foot over a couple guys, and he found Dan Arnold in the middle of the end zone in between about three defenders, so the only spot his guy can come down with it, Kyler was able to put it there. I mean, I wish I could do anything in my life as well as Kyler Murray throws off his back foot. That dude has special arm talent sometimes. But again, the really good news for Kyler was seeing those rush attempts get back up into a good level he's going to be back well inside the top 10 fancy QBs uh, moving forward. I think I had him 10th this week, but I'm talking like top 5, top 6 here moving on as long as he is running. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins was someone that, uh, you know, really on my uh, XM show on Saturday, we were talking up a lot as could have success in this one. James Bradbury is a great corner, but the Giants just run so much zone that someone like Hopkins that, you know, is just such a nuanced route runner and he's so smart that he would be able to sit down just in open areas and eat all game. That's exactly what happened. Caught 9 of 11 targets for 136 yards. Long of 41 where they just like didn't cover him on a crosser, man. And that is the frustrating part of running zone cover. Sometimes you have these random coverage busts and it's like, well, maybe just put your best guy on number one wide receiver, but I'm not a defensive mastermind, whatever. Hopkins, great game. Mentioned the Dan Arnold touchdown. Otherwise no Cardinals receiver had over 25 receiving yards. Quick shout out, Kenyon Drake, 23 carries, 80 yards and a score. Kenyon Drake has looked more elusive after his ankle injury than before, which I guess is just like a pretty Kenyon Drake thing to do. Uh, He's a top 15 fantasy running back on the year. He was 14th coming in to this week. He might even be in the top 12 after this performance. Hey, you know, it's just a lesson that even when guys disappoint us, keep an eye on the role. I mean, there was a short period where Drake got hurt. We didn't know how long it was going to be. And if Chase Edmonds had taken over, then like, okay, then maybe you can cut ways with this guy. But again, when a guy is getting the volume, like Kenyon Drake has been all year, you got to keep going back to the well, at least to some extent, because when that volume turns into good efficiency, like it has lately, all of a sudden you got yourself a rock solid RB2 with the Giants. Yeah, this was an atrocious effort. They had one scoring drive where Daniel Jones threw a 39-yard pass down the seam to Golden Tate. They got down the one-yard line. And then, not Wayne Gallman, not Al- Al- Alfred Morris, but Deion freaking Lewis vultured away the touchdown. So, I don't even know why he was out there. He fumbled a kick return. Deion Lewis, like, he got trucked in pass protection last week. I truly have no idea what Deion Lewis does better than Wayne Gallman on the field, and uh, particularly not Saquon Barkley. I mean, could we imagine if we were in week 14 now in the fantasy playoffs and Saquon had a freaking goal line touchdown uh, just vultured from Deion Lewis, we would have freaking had the pitchforks ready. Ugh, I get mad even thinking about it. But yeah, so rough game for the Giants offense. And yeah, as we talked about earlier in this week, I mean, we cannot trust Daniel Jones without his rushing ability. And he did not rush one time coming off of that hamstring injury. So he was 24th in fantasy points in purely passing production uh, before missing last week. So Daniel Jones, you know, this Giants passing game as a whole are not realistic fantasy options the rest of the year with this passing game in such a putrid spot. PFF Lily matchup stat. So DeAndre Hopkins, I just want to talk about some of the differences between him this year and kind of the rest of his career. He has a higher receiving grade this year than last year, but his 9.2-yard average target depth, career low mark. And look, a big part of it has been how they get him the ball quickly on screens. From 2015 to 2019, Hopkins never had more than 11 catches on screens, average 6.4 per season. This year, he has 15 already still with three games to go absolutely wild and hey you know Hopkins is still an amazing receiver still anyone's idea of a top five real life and fantasy option just realized he's been getting his yards a little bit differently this year and hey you know it's just a different offense different system still the same elite alpha wide receiver one Next matchup, Broncos 32, Panthers 27. Took some heat on uh, Twitter. You know, I'm not not immune to getting ratioed from time to time, and I'll sit here and own up to it, but basically my point, and I've said on the podcast before, but I think Drew Locke is AFC West Jameis. Now, that is a little unfair to Jameis for what he's achieved so far. You look at efficiency, you look at fantasy performance. Jameis has objectively been better than Drew Locke has as an NFL quarterback for sure you know, lower middle-class man's Jameis. That's probably a little better comparison, I would say. But either way, this game showed kind of what I was thinking and getting at because even though Locke hasn't had the big performances yet, I believe he's only 14 starts into his NFL career, and we've just seen him have that gunslinger, risk-taking mentality where every single ball he throws, he thinks he can complete. And I've seen that from Jameis since, you know, his days at Florida State. And I love that about him, and I am a Drew Locke fan even if I'm not convinced at all that he can be a good real-life or even fantasy quarterback. He just makes Football more fun to watch when you know you're watching freaking every single game every single week I do appreciate when Drew Locke pops up on the television screen so even in a game where he was 21 for 27 280 yards and four touchdowns I mean it wasn't without some mistakes he had a bad fumble he had a lot of luck from a you know really questionable rough in the passer call that extended a drive uh, Deontay Spencer had a punt return touchdown but hey we saw that you know just amazing arm talent and, you know People in the league have a bigger arm than Drew Locke, but he certainly has a freaking Howitzer back there. And, you know, he has some good intermediate goodness. He had two bombs to K.J. Hamler for long touchdowns. Again, we saw the flashes of Drew Locke that he can make pretty much any throw on the field. And even if we were seeing him make a lot of throws on the field that other quarterbacks and any quarterback should not be making, uh, it was good to see this kind of upside-ceiling game. Uh, yeah, with these wide receivers, I mentioned Hamler had the two touchdowns. Tim Patrick also had a short touchdown after Troy Fumagalli uh, finished his short the goal line. Noah Fant got an illness that apparently— APPARENTLY I forget who the other player was that was uh, impacting, but Noah Fant had an illness that caused him to be pulled from the game early. They've left him and the other guy off the bus, so apparently, you know, there could be, you know, in today's age, we're all worried that any illness could be COVID, so they're doing a the smart thing. But that was why Noah Fant uh, offered up his goose egg. He just literally was not out there. And also, Melvin Gordon suffered a shoulder injury, uh, so we'll need to keep an eye on that. If Gordon's sidelined, we could legit look at Philip Lindsay as a potential RB2 down the stretch. Um, Shout-out Jerry Judy. Only two catches, 42 yards, but, you know, we have talked about on this podcast, like, the one of the most exciting moments of any Broncos game is when they go from a Jerry Judy catch to the wide receiver cornerback, iso came and Oh my goodness. He had one of the sickest slugger routes I've seen, you know, cutting it inside and then getting downfield. The cornerback was freaking in a pretzel and uh, Judy was able to come down with the 31 uh, yard catch. So Judy, you know, Sam Monson with PFF has appropriately brought up just how, you know, unfair it's really been for Judy this year in terms of being open and drew lock, just not being able to give him a lot of opportunities with it. But I mean, At some point, he's going to be getting more catchable balls, and Lord knows he can do a lot with them because this guy is always open with the Panthers. Was not a great performance from uh, Teddy Bridgewater. You know, 283 scoreless yards on 40 attempts. He did rush for a touchdown, which, I mean, this was a part of his game that was really missing with the Saints. In his entire career with the Saints, he had 33 rushing yards. I mean, in this game alone, he had 31. So, like, Teddy Bridgewater has been running much more uh, with the Carolina Panthers, and that has accordingly helped his fantasy value. I mean, at the end, it was 4th and 8, and he just threw this crosser. That was like 3 yards past the line of scrimmage. Again, not a great performance in real life, but ended up not being that bad in fantasy. Just because of that rushing floor, uh, shout out Mike Davis continuing to make dudes miss. 11 carries, 51 yards, and two scores. Didn't have you know the massive role that we were probably hoping for. uh Just in general with McCaffrey out, he played 72% snaps, 11 carries, and six targets. But that's not bad. And anytime we can get 15 combined carries and targets, like we are going to fire that up as a locked in RB2. So. Mike Davis, as long as Christian McCaffrey remains out, will be a must-start in Fantasyland. Uh, also, nice job Robbie Anderson, 8 catches, 84 yards. Curtis Samuel, 7 catches, 68 yards. As long as DJ Moore remains sidelined, both these guys are going to be recommended starts as well. Uh, PFF only matchup stats. So, yeah, Drew Locke, this is where I get the Jameis comp people. Drew Locke has a 6% big-time throw rate this year. That only trails Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and Aaron Rodgers. Truly, Locke has, is the fourth best QB in terms of just making big-time throws that we would you know, not expect a normal quarterback to be able to make. But there is a but to this. He is the third-worst quarterback in turnover-worthy play rate behind only Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Mullins. So it's either been really, really good or really, really bad. It's really entertaining. That's not really a combo you want to be a successful real-life quarterback, but it's what Drew Locke is, and we need to appreciate that about him. Next matchup, we've got the Cowboys defeating the Bengals 30-7. to This was basically in the post-DAC Cowboys kind of era of 2020. They've had the Vikings game, and they've now had this game against the Bengals where they looked even just remotely adequate. But even that, like, is probably giving them a little too much credit because first drive of the game, Giovanni Bernard loses a fumble. Second drive, Trayvon Williams loses a fumble. Third drive, Alex freaking Erickson loses a fumble because the Bengals thought it would be a good idea on fourth and one to give Alex freaking Erickson a, uh, j- a fly sweep. So, yeah, awful play calling. I don't get it. The one thing I truly don't get in this game, though, Giovanni Bernard fumbles on his first carry, and he was benched until the second half. The broadcast noted that he had not that he had the league's single longest like non-fumble streak. Is this, like, Zach Taylor, this is your plan? Giovanni Bernard, who seemingly has done nothing except really for the past decade, be anyone's idea of like a good teammate, a solid number two running back, at times a solid number one running back. He fumbles for the first time since I looked it up, I think it was week 11, the 2019 season, and you bench him? Like, you can say you're holding your players accountable and this and that. I mean, when Trayvon Williams fumbles the next drive and he doesn't get benched, I don't know what that says. How about when A.J. Green goes out this entire season and can't separate from anybody and posts how many goose egg lines? Like, where was the accountability there? Giovanni Bernard fumbles once and you just pull him like that? I, I don't get that. And it was frustrating in fantasy land, obviously. I'm sure I'm not the only one out there that, had, that was firing up Gio in some, this you know best-case-imaginable matchup against the league's worst-run defense in the Dallas Cowboys. So it was, again, it was a move that you would think would be reserved for like a struggling rookie back, not someone that hadn't fumbled in over a year. And again, has been a long time kind of centerpiece of your franchise. So, hey, Zach Taylor, you know, you sure did look good when Joe Burrow was there, but pretty much the entire other time of uh, your tenure, this offense has not done a single thing. So good for you for uh, benching Giovanni Bernard, I guess. That sure did a lot of uh, difference in this one. Uh, Yeah, that's about it on the Bengals side of the ball. Brandon Allen, Ryan Finley. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty awful. Allen played better than he had in past weeks. We can't penalize him too much for those fumbles. We can't penalize him at all, I should say, for his teammates fumbling the ball. Did find A.J. Green for a touchdown. I know I was kind of shitting on A.J. Green there. He actually came back from the dead. Six catches, 62 yards, and a score to lead the way in those categories. But come on, people. You're not playing any Bengals with any amount of money on the line for the rest of the season. With the Cowboys, you know, Red Rock and Andy Dalton got his revenge game win, 185 yards and a pair of touchdowns through the air. But it was, again, just one of these games where it's like, like, man... we saw from Mike Glennon, like backup quarterback coming in, wasn't afraid to throw the ball deep. It's the exact opposite with Dalton. I mean, there was one play where Amari Cooper ran this nasty uh, double move go, and the cornerback was freaking six yards behind him, and Dalton was, you know, either had his eyes down at the rush or was looking elsewhere. I know sometimes those wide receiver cornerback cams can be deceiving. You know, maybe Dalton was supposed to look at Cooper at his first read, and he was covered, and then he wasn't. But, you know, it was just a story of the game. I mean, Cooper had five targets. Michael Gallup had six. Uh, nobody else was even approaching that number. Cooper at a team high 51 yards. Just absolutely no explosion. And you know what? There's a lot of offenses. Look at the Drew Brees offenses over the past, you know, decade. Really, at least that last half decade haven't exactly been built on one big play after another but when you're drew Brees, you don't need one big play after another you're efficient enough to consistently drive down the field that's pretty much what the cowboys try to do with Andy dalton and it, it rarely ever works it only works against a team like the Bengals, like the vikings that just have no semblance of a pass rush so dalton only was sacked two times in this one uh credit to them for getting the win but do not you know think that this cowboys team has turned a corner by any stretch of the imagination uh quickly on these running backs uh It was actually more of a split backfield with the Cowboys than we've seen in past weeks and really ever since uh, Pollard and Zeke joined forces in uh, 2019. So Zeke 62% 62% snaps, 12 carries, 3 targets. Pollard, 38% snaps, 11 carries, 2 targets. Pollard has sick kick return uh, that didn't go all the way. Kicker got him, which is unfortunate. Never let the kicker get you. But I think it was a second straight week uh, with a long kick return. So just get the ball in Tony Pollard's hands, and good things happen. The Cowboys finally seem to be realizing that. PFF stat is involving these running backs. So, look, 79 people have at least 100 carries over the past two seasons. Tony Pollard is tied for first and missed tackles forced per attempt. 13th in yards per carry, and number one, number one ahead of Nick Chubb, ahead of Derrick Henry, number one in yards after contact per attempt. So basically, I think we'd be having this conversation about Pollard deserving more touches regardless of what team he's on. Now, is it accentuated because of what Ezekiel Ellis has been doing? Yes, you know, in that same sample against 79 people. Zeke is tied for 48th in forced tackles per attempt, 46 in yards per carry, 27th in yards after contact per carry. So Zeke, pretty much anyone's idea of an average to above average running back, you could say that, you know, because he gets more volume, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt that these efficiency stats are, you know, going to be better for someone like Pollard doesn't have the same sort of high level volume. But however you want to cut it, I mean, Pollard has been the better pure rusher than Zeke over the past two seasons because he's been a better pure rusher than almost anybody over the past two seasons, you know, just based on these stats. So it's, you know, Zeke doesn't deserve a ton of defending. I would just say, you know, be careful and completely trashing Zeke when you want to say Pollard deserves more time because I think Pollard would deserve more time, again, in pretty much any other backfield in the league as well. The season is in full swing and the action is still unfolding, so head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. With so many storylines in both professional and collegiate sports, this is the time to check out all that DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, head to the app store now because you do not want to miss this, people. To celebrate Sunday's action, DraftKings is ensuring all new users are covered up to $100. That's right, you bet. They cover a risk-free Sunday betting. Additionally, this weekend, there is plenty of action to get on, so head to the app now to start making it rain. On top of those great sign-up offers, DraftKings offers great odds, odds boost every Sunday to help you make it rain. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Again, DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right, you bet and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code PFF during sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So, must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage paid out in-site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Next game, we got the Bears smashing the Texans 36-7. to This was a game where we saw really Trubisky and company just take it to him. I mean, they had 30 points by halftime. Wasn't a complete, you know, just dud by Deshaun Watson. He had a rushing touchdown they ended up saying he was a short on. He also threw a ball to Jordan Higgins in the end zone that hit the dude right in the chest. He uh, it was clearly glared by the sun, just couldn't even see the thing. But, again, those are two touchdowns right there that we could have easily had. And Watson did find the end zone once with a nice little extended play, uh, finding Kiki Cutie. So, Bad game, I get it, but no Will Fuller. Brandon Cooks was ruled out. Obviously, DeAndre Hawkins in Arizona. At some point, Deshaun Watson cannot do it all in this, you know, Midwest road trip against not a great defense, but still anyone's idea of a very good one. Uh, yeah, he wasn't able to come through. So my guy Duke Johnson had a 48 yard catch and run on a screen. That was fun. Otherwise, yeah, moving on to the Bears. And yeah, Trubisky, 206 70 yards through the air, three touchdowns and uh, 23 rushing yards. He's someone that you know I don't think we can fire up with too much confidence. But at a minimum, he at least appears to have the job for the rest of the 2020 season i was just worried about a mid-game benching but you look at their schedule Minnesota Vikings in week 15 this could end in the Jacksonville Jaguars in week 16 like Trubisky is actually a viable kind of upside QB to the stream over these past few next few weeks we're seeing almost like the 2018 version of him where believe me there are still some lows we're not seeing the most polished quarterback but Trubisky had some big spike weeks in that 2018 season and we've even seen it you know even before he got a benched earlier in 2020 like at least in that uh, first game against the Lions he was able to bring him back and put up some decent numbers so Trubisky credit to him for playing much better you know no interceptions uh he didn't have a fumble in this game he I mean last week he had that bad fumble at the end but truly since Trubisky's come back under center I feel like he's been playing some good ball he had this wild uh pass to I think it was Allen Robinson most of his passes were going to Allen Robinson this one nine catches 123 yards and a touchdown but you know, one of those plays where everyone likes to say, oh, if Mahomes did that, it'd be all over ESPN everywhere. I hope this throw from Trubisky is all over ESPN everywhere because the guy, you know, rolling out to his left had to do a nasty, like, sidearm, just weird angle to get it to his guy. And you know what? He did it. He pulled it off. So, great game from Trubisky and also great game from David Montgomery everybody 11 carries 113 yards and a score mostly courtesy of an 80 yards huge touchdown on his first carry of the game so I've already seen some tweets saying you know oh, you take away his 80 yard touchdown he only had 10 carries or 33 yards people he scored an 80 yard touchdown we cannot just take that for granted and say oh you know sick you have one play no that one play was massive game breaking what do we want from David Montgomery because He's been playing great all season in terms of breaking tackles, yards after contact, all the things that are supposed to be, you know, independent of offensive line play. Montgomery has been thriving in. And what have we said? We said, Oh, he breaks the tackles, but he can't do anything with them. He's not explosive enough. Well, he had what the 55 yard run against the Packers. Now he has the 80 yard run. And now we're calling these fluky. Like what does David Montgomery have to do to get the credit that he has truly been at a minimum and above average running back all season long. But going at, coming in this game. The bears were the second worst offense in the league and yards before contact per carry. Again, these are stats meant to try to isolate in that case, offensive line play then the forced tackles uh, case you know pure running back play in Montgomery every single sign points to him being at minimum and above average back in this league so it's not like he's had you know the most consistent quarterback play under center I think Montgomery has largely done the best with the hand he's been dealt all season long and gone are days where we're treating him as a volume-based RB2 Dave Montgomery is a legit volume-based RB1 top 10 back for the rest of 2020 season and probably beyond. PFF Lilly matchup stat: Uh, only Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry this season have forced more total missed tackles than Montgomery on runs. And guess what? It's not just a volume thing, because if you just take, you know, large sample of running backs, at least 100 touches, Montgomery is third in broken tackle rate. So he's racking them up and he's also doing it efficiently. Uh, Real quickly on the injury front, I forgot to mention this. Uh, David Johnson was ruled a close contact uh, of covid We never know when they get put on the list, if they're a close contact or if it's a situation where they actually have it and he is a close contact. So he could be back as early as week 15. Duke Johnson, everyone knows I love Duke. He's not, you know, really locked in as a RB2 like David is when he's healthy. But Duke would obviously not be a realistic fantasy option if David is able to return. Next game, we had the Chiefs defeat the Dolphins 33-27. to This was an entertaining one, and uh, Mahomes, you know, certainly made life a little bit tougher on him. He threw three interceptions in this one. The third one was a sick one-handed snag where he was just trying to chuck the ball downfield, and Xavier Howard made a hell of a play. The first two, they hit his receiver's hands, but they were high. I mean, I... I would still blame Mahomes on the picks. I was just saying they weren't, you know, egregious, you know, misfires, misreading the coverage. He just didn't put the ball exactly where he wanted us to go. You know, I guess it even happens to Patrick Mahomes sometimes. Other than that, though, I mean, 393 yards and two scores. His freaking 44-yard touchdown to Tyreek Hill was unbelievable. Just a rope down the middle of the field, you know, past the secondary. Pretty much the exact throw that he wasn't able to hit uh, quite as consistently against the Broncos. I shouldn't even say that because he hit two out of three. He only missed one of those. So, yeah, Patrick Mahomes, three interceptions, still very much the best quarterback walking on planet Earth. Shout out to Tyreek Hill also converting a 32-yard rush attempt for a score. And uh, Travis Kelsey, oh, my gosh, eight catches, 136 yards and a touchdown. People, Travis Kelsey is not just the best tight end in the league. We got to start talking about Travis Kelsey just being one of the best receivers, period. I don't care about the position. This guy leads the NFL in receiving yards right now. And we talk about all these records, about him, you know, just against tight ends. Let's start comparing Travis Kelsey to all the top receivers in the league. Because that's all he's been, really, for the better part of the past half decade, and particularly over the past three years with Patrick Mahomes under center. Over the past two years, only Julio Jones has more catches of at least 15 yards. Like, it's not like Kelsey is just some, you know, Jason Witten target hog, just, you know, dabbot falling forward tight end I kind of expected Kelsey to fall off at least a little bit this year not saying I thought it would be a dud still anyone's idea of a top two fantasy tight end unless you were freaking drunk while you were making your rankings going in this year but at some point or just like Kelsey okay he's in his 30s he's getting up there it's a demanding position I wouldn't be shocked if someone that has made such a living on their ability after the catch slows down a little bit nope He's been fantastic, and even when he does eventually slow down, he's going to be slowing down with the best quarterback alive under center, so he's going to age as gracefully as we could ever ask for. So amazing game from Travis Kelsey, and honestly, it's just become almost like the norm at this point that we expect these sort of performances out of him, and just so you all know, these are not normal. Travis Kelsey is not just a great tight end. He is a great number one receiver. Also, quick shout-out, Sammy Watkins jumped over a guy on a hurdle. That was dope. It's very hard to jump over another human being. I think people should get more credit. Point-per-hurdle leagues would be so much better than point-per-reception leagues. I digress. Uh, Clyde Eversolaire, not the best line overall, but five catches, uh, 59 yards, 16 carries, 32 yards. That's good usage, everybody. And he played 75% of the Chiefs' offensive snaps. The problem with Le'Veon Bell in the picture was they were going almost 50-50. And even if it wasn't, you know, 50-50 between Bell and Clyde, Daryl Williams was making it a 50-50 just between Clyde and those two other running backs. But 75% snaps? In this offense, in this economy, like Clyde Edwards Alaire is going to be a upside RB2 moving forward with this sort of usage. I know it didn't work out this week, but we are now getting pre-Bell usage, and the guy was a freaking upside RB2 before Le'Veon Bell. So seemingly, Chiefs have realized that you know their offense is better going through Clyde. Start him with confidence, people, in week 15 and 16. With the Dolphins, so a lot of injuries that I think will help show how much better Tua was than his line necessarily uh, indicated because Devontae Parker suffered a leg injury early. Jakeem Grant suffered a leg injury. And Mike Jasiki appeared to suffer a shoulder injury. Might have been an arm. We haven't gotten, you know, we'll get official injury di- uh, diagnosis and stuff usually throughout the week. Uh, make sure you check out the Tuesday pod. I go over some of the waiver wire options and then the Friday pod. I recap Thursday night football and then I also go over the injuries to watch ahead of the weekend. So keep an eye on those. But truly, I mean, Tua, to make this a six-point game, Throw for 316 yards and two touchdowns while he's throwing to Lynn Bowden, who's a rookie who's playing, you know, quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. Mac Hollins, you know, ex-Eagles cast off. Adam Shaheem, Durham Smythe, like Tua was thrown to nobodies, he was thrown to all areas of the field, and he was really throwing a catchable ball all game long. I do kind of think we might overrate uh, just kind of QB velocity in general. Obviously, it's great when you have a tight window, you need to squeeze the ball in there, but like every time Tua throws, it, I'm just, it's like Russell Wilson-esque in terms of just how catchable that thing feels, and unfortunately, he has some drops. Parker had one in the end zone that went off his hands before he got hurt, and on the first drive alone, he had 15-plus yard chunk plays to Jakeem Grant and Parker again. again that they managed to drop so again Tua I thought played fantastic I thought last week he was really great too and he just keeps building he keeps getting better so you know in fantasy Our only issue on this podcast that we've had with Tua was volume because in his first four games, he never even cleared 30 pass attempts. He hit 48 in this one, and he even ran for 24 yards in his score. So we know he's got the athleticism. He's just always a pass-first quarterback, so we haven't always seen this side of him. But with this sort of usage, Tua can actually be an upside QB, too, moving forward as well. Uh, PFF Lloyd matchup stat, just three QBs have a drop rate of at least 6.5% this season. Carson Wentz, Ben Roethlisberger, which I'm sure we all could have guessed, and Tua. So, again, he's not getting help. He's with a skill position unit that I think anyone would rank in the bottom five of the league. Not trying to take away from particularly Parker and Josecki, but, you know, Preston Williams was hurt. They didn't address the back. They're now on their 4 string running back. I mean, there just isn't much going on in Miami, and Tua has continued to largely make the most out of it, at least in recent weeks. Next matchup, we had the Seahawks absolutely slaughtered the Jets, 40-3. to three. And, yeah, Russ and company got back to cooking. They just didn't need to do it for all that long. I mean, he ended up only throwing, uh, let's see, 27 passes in this one, 206 yards, four touchdowns, one interception, just trying to lob it up to DK Metcalf, and it got one-handed uh, snared for an interception. A lot of one-handed catches, I felt like, uh, this week. Always good to see that. Uh, Chris Carson chipped in 76 yards in the score. But, yeah, I mean, look, they just pretty much rolled New York Jets. It was good to see uh, them get back in action. You know, six catches, 61 yards in the score for Metcalf. Lockett couldn't find the end zone, was still at 52 yards. Just an all-out awesome performance from this passing game. And again, Russ was out for Gito Smith midway through the third quarter. This was not a tough game. But they did not have a completion over 20 yards. Like That was the most shocking part to me. The idea was that Russ and company would be getting back on track against a Jets defense that's pretty much allergic to not giving up big plays down the field. Maybe because they changed Greg Williams, it was just a huge you know, schematic uh, overview. I didn't watch the tape closely enough to you know, determine whether or not they've just completely changed their defensive principles or anything like that. But either way, this passing game was moving. Easy matchup, but hey, they need an easy matchup to get back on track. Uh, with the Jets, Sam Donald was so bad. He had three, not one, not two. Three dropped interceptions. Just couldn't make anything happen. 132 passing yards, three points against the freaking Seahawks. I, you know, Adam Gase, how is this guy? Have a, every, every time a coach gets fired, and it was the Raiders, Raiders defensive coordinator that got fired tonight, every time a coach gets fired, my first thought is just like, how has Gase not gotten fired yet? But we'll see. It's going to happen at the end of this year, and it's just absolutely ridiculous that they haven't been able to do more. Uh, regardless of who your quarterback is, I mean, I mean, this performance was just – Terrible all the way around. PFF Lillian matchup stat. I want to give a shout out to Metcalf here because we have some really cool behind the scenes, you know, the stats that PFF employees and NFL teams can use. And one of those is just targets in single man-to-man coverage. And this year, 74 players have at least 25 targets in single coverage. Only two are averaging at least five yards per route run. That is Devontae Adams, number one at 5.22. DK Metcalf just a hair behind at 5.15 truly trying to guard DK Metcalf at one mere mortal not good for business people next game we got the Colts defeating the Raiders 44 to 27 this was the Jonathan Taylor breakout party that so many were hoping for and he's been balling more in recent weeks but my goodness 20 carries 150 yards two scores look Last week on his podcast, the big takeaway was Jonathan Taylor is running so much better. He's breaking tackles. He's, he's starting to see the vision. I did not care about that 40-yard reception touchdown he had where nobody guarded him in the flat. That's because Naeem Hines is always going to be their pass down back, and we saw that in this one. Jonathan Taylor... Two catches for 15 yards on two targets. This passing game is always going to be crowded, but we need Taylor to rise up on the top of the running game, which he did in a big way here. You know, not completely dominant. Still only 54% snaps, but 20 of 28 running back carries, and then he had those two targets as well. So Jonathan Taylor, legit. I haven't made the rankings yet. I'd have to look at the matchup. Let's see who they got right now because I want to say legit RB1 for the rest of the season, but I don't want to get a little bit too overzealous, guys. There's some good running backs out there. Got to see what the matchup is looking like. Colts in Week 15 play the Houston Texans. Jonathan Taylor is a legit RB1 in Week 15 against the Houston Texans. Fire him up with confidence, everybody. Uh, Passing game, T.Y. Hilton kept on keeping on. Five catches, 86 yards, two scores on just seven targets, though, and that's the thing about this group. I mean, Michael Pittman had five targets and only 42 scoreless yards, so – we know Rivers, in these cozy matchups, He had, he's had cozy ones recently. He's going to have another cozy one next week against the Texans. We know he's going to put up yards. It's just really hard to figure out who's necessarily going to be getting them. Hilton has been rising up in the top in recent weeks. It makes sense if he's going to stay there over Pittman. We've talked about Pittman all year, getting most of his stuff, you know, just on uncovered crossers and things of that nature. I do believe in Hilton a little more than I have, you know, in the past. because Let's face it, he didn't do anything in weeks 1 through 10, but now it's been week after week, and now he gets a Houston Texan team that people forget. Get. T.Y. Hilton showed up to a playoff game wearing a clown mask against the Houston Texans. We cannot bet against that. You know, upside wide receiver three is what his volume says, but the way he's playing lately, I think it's more of a borderline wide receiver two situation. You should feel confident about starting T.Y. Hilton in week 15. Now with the Raiders, you know, Been backing Derek Carr all season long, and he wasn't terrible in this one. 316 yards, two touchdowns. He had two picks. One of them was, again, a one-handed freaking interception where he tried to fit it to Darren Waller in the end zone. The other one hit Jalen Rashard directly in the hands, went behind him, and was taken back for a touchdown. So, you know, Nelson Aguilar had five catches, 100 yards and a touchdown, nice bounce back spot. Waller had 75 yards. And then uh, Foster Moreau had a 47-yard touchdown down the seam. He's truly one of the more talented backup tight ends in the league. He was getting a lot more run last year before old man Witten came to town. The big storyline from the Raiders, Josh Jacobs, 76 scoreless yards after going on Instagram and saying that, you know, he wasn't going to play because Josh Jacobs has a problem with fantasy football. I kind of love it. Like he's turning heel on the fantasy football community. I don't get it for himself because all it's gonna do is attract a lot of pissed off fantasy football managers. And the fact that, you know, he kind of made this big fuss about it and then didn't produce, that's not a great look. But it's new, it's different, and it's gonna probably cause his draft value to tank next year because people are just pissed off about this. But the usage remains. High, high-end RB2, borderline RB1 at worst. You know, this was a game where they got behind, so because of that we saw them only play 43% of the offensive snaps, but that's always been an annoying problem. Still at 13 carries and five targets. Josh Jacobs, I don't like him right now. I'm sure you don't like him right now, all in terms of fantasy I Hope Josh Jacobs is freaking happy and healthy and all that. Purely fantasy. None of us like Josh Jacobs right now. You still got to start him next week and beyond. He has anyone's idea of an RB1 level workload. Just unfortunate that he couldn't give us more in the first week of the playoffs. Only injury to know is that Mo Cox suffered knee injury for the Colts. Look, if he's out, it's Trey Burton season, everybody. So it's always been an issue with the Colts of who's getting the ball. If we can take away one of the tight ends, definitely go back to well with the other one that is still healthy. Uh, PFF only matchup stat. Over the past two weeks, Jonathan Taylor, on only carries, has racked up 14 missed tackles. In weeks 1 through 11 combined, he had 13 forced missed tackles. Truly, Jonathan Taylor is playing at a different level over the past few weeks. The schedule has been a dream. I get that. Guess what? It's still a dream next week against the Texans. So, again, fire up Jonathan Taylor with confidence as an RB1 in that in anyone's idea of a smash spot. Chargers beat the Falcons 20-17. to 17. Interesting game, and I think I have some good data here because I've had some people reach out and just say, you know, Herbert doesn't look like the same guy with Austin Eckler there, and they got the win. Herbert had an awesome throw to, uh, I believe it's Tyron Johnson. It might just be Ty Johnson. That's, that's a gesture running back. Ty- I think Tyron Johnson. They have Tyron Johnson and Jalen Guyton. I swear these guys look the same. When they're running downfield, both talented younger receivers. I don't want to take anything away from the guy, but either way, Herbert finds Johnson for a nice like 25-yard catch down the left sideline, just a freaking dart, and kind of showed the kind of arm talent he had, but... Overall, like we saw that on talent. We've seen it all year. And I remember that Bucks game early on where he was just slinging that thing deep. 44 attempts only 243 yards like he completed 36 of them it was just one screen one dink and dunk after another and hey this was great for Austin Eckler nine catches 67 yards Keenan Allen had nine catches, 52 yards in the score even Hunter Henry had six catches 41 yards but it was almost like Pittsburgh Steeler-esque just like the lack of pushing the ball downfield and Herbert's someone that can create he can get like his touchdown to Keenan Allen was spectacular rolling out to his right and just throwing a dart exactly where it needed to be we've seen examples all season long that Herbert can make almost any throw on the field do not restrict his field the freaking five yards past the line of scrimmage so Matt Ryan pretty much lost this game and by pretty much he absolutely lost this game for the Falcons three interceptions the first one was somewhat excusable like he definitely forced it deep in the double coverage to Ridley but it was a bomb you know he's trying to make a play I get it and then two not one two just Bad fourth quarter interceptions that gave the Chargers this opportunity to win the game in the first place. So the only time that we saw a truly good pass in this game was Russell Gage. What the hell are the Falcons putting in the water of their slot receiver room? Because Russell Gage and before him, Muhammad Sanu are just slinging dimes. In this case, it was Gage. 39 yards to Calvin Ridley. Just absolutely perfect downfield. And don't forget, in week two against the Cowboys, Gage took a Wildcat snap, hit Julio Jones in the chest, and Julio dropped it. Ended up being a difference in that game. So, you know... Matt Ryan, I don't think it's anything to worry about, but hey, let's give Russell K.J. a pass or two a game. Who says no? Uh, Shout out Calvin Ridley on having eight catches for 124 yards and a touchdown. This man has never busted in games with at least eight targets, and the streak continues. Uh, Injuries in this one, Mike Williams suffered a back injury early on, and because of that, uh, we saw Johnson have seven targets, and uh, Jalen Guyton really didn't get the same treatment. So Tyron Johnson's going to be the person where, you know, he's going to be a thin waiver wire ad because Eckler and Keenan Allen and even Hunter Henry are going to dominate so much the target share but you know if you're feeling frisky in dfs next week and mike williams remains out johnson would be the recommended play so pff only matchup stat and this is what i was talking about with herbert and eckler before i buried the lead uh so herbert with eckler in weeks two three twelve thirteen and now fourteen has produced three of his four worst games of the season in PFF passing grade, and we look at the specifics. With Eckler, 6.1 yards per attempt, 7-yard average target depth. Without Eckler, 7.7 yards per attempt, and 8.1-yard average target depth. Again, like some offenses, it doesn't make sense to throw the ball downfield because you got, a, you know, and I don't even want to say Herbert's, like, not executing this strategy. Again, you know, threw the ball 44 times, only eight of them hit the ground incomplete. So, He's doing what he's doing fine, but like, again, you have Herbert, you have this high powered offense that has just been reduced to anything but. And it's not Austin Eckler's fault. Austin Eckler's one of the best running backs in the league, but you can't build your offense around just constant checkdowns. That's what we've seen the Panthers do at McCaffrey. And any offense that tries to do that isn't going to be a great overall unit. So. Hey, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, fantasy football managers, this is not concern you. It does concern, you know, the long-term viability of this Justin Herbert-led offense. I still think Herbert's awesome. He's so young. He should be the rookie of the year. I just hope that they kind of start to evolve this offense a little bit. Go through your awesome wide receivers first. When things aren't there, then, th- then check it down to Austin Eckler. It'll be more efficient for everybody involved. Next matchup, the Eagles beat the Saints 24-21. to Jalen Hurts seasoned everybody. So, look, Jalen Hurts was not good as a passer. He was running around a lot. He had 106 yards on 18 carries. And because of that in fantasy, excuse me, we got the Cardinals next week, the Cowboys the week after. Jalen Hurts is a legit QB1 with this sort of rushing workload. For the exact same reason that Taysom Hill before this week was a QB1. He might have even got there. I mean, 33 rushing yards for Taysom, 291 passing yards and two scores. Like, I'm not saying Jalen Hurts is Taysom Hill. He's not. But he has the same rushing role as Taysom Hill, which has made freaking Taysom Hill a fantasy QB one. So Hurts, anything extra we get as a thrower is fine. He's run the ball enough that we can legit fire him as a top 12 option at the position as early as next week. Just realize nothing was downfield. They did one play where Hurts rolled out. He tried to throw back across the field. Rager was open. Couldn't put it on him. Um, Steven Ruiz, lead writer for... uh, Crap, I can't remember. Steven Ruiz is an awesome Twitter follower. I really respect his work. He made the point on this bomb to uh, Jalen Rager that... Oh, uh, for the win. Lead NFL writer for the win. Anyway, great guy. Hertz chucks the ball downfield. It looked just like Russell Wilson. That was Steven's point that, you know, just aesthetically, it looked like the way Russell Wilson would loft the ball downfield. I am not saying Hertz can't develop into a great passer. I know he was super accurate at Oklahoma after experiencing some up and downs at Alabama. But in game one, he was not even close to a great passer. There's nothing downfield. 74% of Hertz's passing yards came after the catch. Guys, Alex Smith's at 60%. Jimmy G's at 65%. Hertz was, you know, the opposite of a gunslinger in this one. Hey, the Eagles went in, and they beat a freaking awesome defense, 24-21. Hertz deserves a ton of credit for what he brought on the ground. I'm just saying, you know, when we're assessing this game, let's be real. Hertz brought in a new added running dimension that caught the Saints off guard. It helped Miles Sanders, you know, a lot. 14 carries, 150 yards, and two scores for Miles. You know, I like the idea. I think it was Mark Twain. At one point, was talking about how you know, number one swordsman in the world doesn't fear the number two swordsman. They fear the unorthodox swordsman. And that's what the Eagles were in this game, the unorthodox swordsman. I just worry if this type of, you know, not, not necessarily a gimmicky offense, but one that relies so much on your quarterback's rushing ability is going to kind of stand the test of time once defenses have more time to plan against it. But at least for the rest of 2020, we are trusting Hurts and Miles Sanders in this, in this uh, you know, just pretty much those two in this offense at a high level in fantasy land. Talked about Taysom a little bit, uh, but yeah, bad interception, just a rocket off of Alvin Camaro's hand on a screen. You know, Michael Thomas, eight catches, 84 yards. Alvin Alvin actually had seven catches, 44 yards in this game. That was great to see, and he also scored a touchdown on a pitch. But look, three of the Saints now, four worst games in terms of his total points scored, have come with Taysom Hill under center. They're still an above average offense, even despite, you know, these kind of lack of point totals in terms of EPA per play, because Taysom Hill has really done a great job helping the run game, just realize. Like there is no quarterback competition. The second Drew Brees is healthy enough to play, he should be out there. I think the team would be better off going than Jameis Winston right now. It is what it is. Taysom has not been awful by any stretch of the imagination. Even in this one, yes, it did take three different members of the Eagles, secondary and Rodney McLeod, Avante Maddox, and Darius Slay to get hurt before we saw a lot really get going with this passing game. But, you know, deep ball to Emmanuel Sanders for a score where nice one-handed catch, but he gave him a chance. And same thing with Jared Cook uh, to end the game. You know, it was kind of in garbage time, but it is what it is. Taysom Hill has shown the ability to be a legit NFL quarterback. The problem is, by the legit NFL quarterback I mean below average and that's only because of his rushing ability so throwing the ball still a struggle we'll see what happens I mean next week against the Chiefs oh my goodness you know hopefully Breeze is back because I'm not sure uh, Taysom's gonna be able to exactly uh, lead back uh, any sort of drives late in the game with Mahomes uh, and company dealing but you know in fantasy land probably got a little overzealous giving them that top five ranking last week but it's still gonna be hard to get him out of that top 12 as long as he keeps running around so much PFF only matchup stat. And again, I don't want to hate on Hurts too much. I just want to put his passing into perspective because this, this week, 25, this is before Sunday Night Football, 25 QBs had 25 dropbacks. Hertz ranked 23rd in PFF passing grade ahead of only Nick Mullins and Sam Darnold. So the PFF passing grade was at 52.8. I mean, Wentz, In his past two games, before he got benched, was at 51.6 and 51. So, hey, Hurts, not necessarily an improvement as a passer over Wentz, but Wentz was never giving us, you know, 100-plus rushing yards on the ground. Wentz wasn't helping open up these sort of big lanes for Miles Sanders. Hurts has helped revitalize this offense enough that we can feel great about him and Miles Sanders for the rest of the year. Just, you know, don't be freaking out crowning him as the next big thing it was a great start you know we've seen Tua get better we've seen all sorts of players get better this might just very well be the beginning for Hertz and we're gonna look back and laugh at you know one middling game as a passer just put into context great game awesome rushing performance not we need a lot more out of him as a downfield passer though all right, everybody, we got three more matchups here. Thanks, so much for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Packers beat the Lions 31-24. to Aaron Rodgers was brilliant, really, throughout this one. The only problem was the Packers threw the ball 33 times, and they ran the ball 31 times, and they weren't really able to have the sort of high high-end efficiency on the ground that we saw in their first matchup against the Lions. I think the sort of, you know— sort of fits that all those Aaron Jones uh, fantasy owners out there were hoping for. But, you know, Rodgers, 290 yards, three touchdowns. Devontae Adams had a 56-yard score, first drive of the game, where it actually had, you know, good 30 yards of yak. I mean, you don't usually see him uh, get going in an open field like that. But guess what? Devontae Adams, he can do it all as a wide receiver, and he's a dangerous man with the ball in his hands as well. Also had a touchdown to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Not a bomb for once. It was just, you know – End zone fade pretty much from inside a 10-yard line, and Marquez uh, made the contested catch. So, you know, it's wild that, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers, even despite all these drops, continues to go back to MVS. But here we are, and credit to MVS for catching all six of his targets for 85 yards and a score. We knew Alan Lazard was going to be a little bit limited coming in this one. But, you know, again, credit to MVS for rebounding, and making the most of those opportunities. Robert Tunyon also scored a touchdown. Robert Tunyon, I know someone that after he had that three-touchdown game, we were wondering if he could keep, keep, keep it going. Now he's at nine for the season. Keep firing up Robert Tunyon as an every-week tight M1. Uh, Matthew Stafford was sacked four times in this one. You know, 244 yards in the score. Marvin Jones had a – I think it should have been a touchdown – honestly like it was a 30 yard uh, pass and you know he got two feet down it seemed like on the replay the question was did he have possession right when the two feet were down and then he was right along the pylon so uh, he had that one another deep crosser that was overthrown ended with only four catches or 48 yards just realized going into this game Marvin Jones was literally fifth in the NFL on targets over the previous four weeks like Stafford's been feeding him he had another eight targets in this one as long as Galladay remains sidelined next week which I don't even know why they would bring him back at this point Marvin Jones is gonna continue to be an upside wide receiver three don't get away from him Fancy just because of this one. Good uses from DeAndre Swift, and he ended up, you know, not going off seven carries, 24 yards, and a touchdown, and then he only had four catches for 26 yards, but 51% snaps, AP was down 25%, carry on 22%. This was a game that featured the Lions trailing, and we've seen Swifts, you know, snaps bounce up in that. But he looked explosive, he looked fast. And I was just worried about the guy after hearing, you know, AP talk about the rookie's mood being different post-concussion and having that weird illness. And they were talking about him being limited, you know, last week if he was even going to be active. It appears that DeAndre Swift is healthy again, which is awesome because this guy has really emerged as, you know, one of the more exciting, if not the most exciting, uh, rookie running back in the league this season. So probably not the most exciting, but you guys know what I'm saying. Uh, DeAndre Swift, as long as he is again healthy next week, I'm much more willing to get him back in that low-end RB2 range. PFF only matchup stat. Guys, this season, Devontae Adams, 118 targets, not a single drop. Spectacular. No other player with even 70 targets doesn't have a drop. Devontae Adams, truly the best wide receiver in the game right now. Two more matchups. Of fo- the Washington football team defeated the 49ers 23-15. Look, Washington did not gain over 100 passing or 100 rushing yards. They had two defensive touchdowns, and Chase Young was a terror. That's why they won this game. Alex Smith uh, suffered a leg injury in the second quarter. X-rays are negative. He's fine, apparently. But Haskins came in, was not good. Should have been picked off on one overthrow at Terry McLaurin. They ruled it hit the ground. I mean, this—, this Offense was a disaster. Again, anytime you finish under 200 total yards of offense, there's not going to be many good things to say. We did see JD McKissick lead the way, 65% snaps, 11 carries, 4 targets. Peyton Barber, uh, 48%, 12 carries, 3 targets. Told you guys, like, do not start Peyton Barber, even if there's a fire. Uh, I hope you see that advice. McKissick didn't exactly, you know, dominate, but... We did see him act as the best rusher. We already know what his receiving. Uh, ceiling can be in some of these weeks. Uh, as long as Antonio Gibson remains out, McKissick's going to remain a low-end RB2. McLaurin's just the unfortunate one, you know, with this erraticness lately. This wasn't an easy matchup, you know, against the 49ers. We've seen them, you know, against lesser offenses like Washington give them problems because even despite not having that same pass they're so, so well coached, you know, with what, uh, you know, uh, Robert Sella and, you know, even just Shanahan's entire uh, kind of just Coaching principal. I know Shanahan's an offensive coach, but they're a well coached defense, is all I'm trying to say in San Francisco. And we've seen, you know, similarly average to below average offenses like Washington have trouble with them. So I'm not freaking out over that. Uh, Nick Mullins, rough run for him. You know, again, sacked four times, chasing young Montez Sweat, and all those guys were having themselves a day. Uh, but he was able to find Brandon Ayuk. 10 catches, 119 yards. Debo Samuel, first play of the game, re entered his hamstring. Super unfortunate. Debo has been one of the more fun guys to watch with the ball in his hands over the past two years. But when wouldn't be shocked at that injury kind of ends his 2020 season we'll see what the playoff odds look like but i imagine the 49ers if they haven't already officially been eliminated are pretty close just unfortunate hopefully he's back to get back to, uh, together by 2021 but ayuk 16 targets in this one with a lot of them being easy screens designed by the wizard himself kyle shanahan so awesome game from him and that takes us right into our pff uh, lily matchup stat brandon ayuk in his last six games He has scored or gone over 100 yards in every single one. So this year, 18 rookie wide receivers have at least 25 targets. You know who's number one, Justin Jefferson. Number two, though, Brandon Ayuk. This class is looking absolutely incredible in terms of wide receiver talent. And we knew that, you know, coming into the draft and everything. All the talk was about the 2020 wide receiver class. And we've seen it from CeeDee Lamb, Justin Jefferson, Chase Claypool. You know, I'm forgetting a ton of guys. Denzel Mims. So many rookie wide series have looked great. There's a legit argument that Brandon Iok has been the second best of them all, only behind Justin Jefferson. Final game for you, Sunday Night Football. Bill Steelers. I admit, after Ben through the fourth quarter pick, I believe targeting James Washington downfield, I dipped to get this uh, podcast going. Been recording in uh, Cincinnati. I was hanging out at the PFF Studios, and because of that, I got to drive back to Columbus tonight at 1 a.m., so just trying to help myself a little bit. I did cheat you guys out of about 10 minutes of football, so apologies there, and if I missed anything, please feel free to reach out on Twitter and let me know how I can learn more about football because that's all we're trying to all do here anyway. But yes, Bill's 26. Steelers 15 atrocious first half for really both teams i mean ben was able to find the end zone uh i think they decided that field goal in the first half honestly but the only reason the bills had the lead at halftime was because they got a pick six from ben right before halftime on just a brutal underthrown ball to your left but you know what when your entire offense is built around these short passes five yards but within a line of scrimmage teams are going to start jumping those routes and trying to make those sort of plays so Ben did score a first half touchdown, pretty 19-yard pass to uh, James Washington, and he also got Juju Smith-Schuster in the fourth quarter, and it seemed like they were starting to get some momentum. You know, cut that uh, lead from 23 to 15. But Josh Allen drove drove the guys down again, got that 11-point lead, and were able to hold on and ice it. Uh, Just you know, again, wasn't the best start from Josh Allen. First half, really nothing good was happening for this Bills offense, but. Back-to-back touchdown drives in the third quarter. Stefan Diggs, 19-yard catch. Gabriel Davis, 13-yard catch. Look, we've hyped up Josh Allen since the preseason on this pod. Told you that this was not a matchup you need to, you know, be terrified of in fantasy land. Josh Allen didn't crush it, you know, just in terms of raw st- stats. 238 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, and another 28 yards on the ground. But seeing him have this type of performance against the Steelers, not even against a 49ers defense that just really couldn't even touch him in the pocket. Incredibly, incredibly impressive and yet another feather in the cap of Josh Allen's magnificent 2020 season. Stephon Diggs was the big reason why though. 10 catches on 14 targets, 130 yards in the touchdown. Just his ability throughout the game to just not only get open, but then with the ball in his hands, create after and make contested catches. I mean, Stephon Diggs, it was like in Minnesota between him and Thielen, we knew they were both great, but I don't think people realize just how spectacular Diggs is and how much of a true number one wide receiver he is those questions have been answered in Buffalo throughout the entire season awesome seeing you know a true true prime time, you know highly televised game like this seeing Diggs go out and have the performance that we, we now know he is fully capable of doing and he has made a habit of doing so in 2020. That's good to do everybody. Thank you as always for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. New episodes every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Uh, Feel free to check me out on Twitter at iHeart. It's I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. I'll shoot out these podcast episodes when they are ready and also got some good old written content uh, throughout the week, which I think, you know, can help you uh, organize your rational thoughts and just try to be a little better at the uh, uh, talking end of things as well. But I'm rambling. Thank you as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.